Welcome back to another episode of Hot Off the Hip. This podcast exists to connect and inspire young professionals in West Michigan through shared stories and aspirations. Young professional is a term used to describe those in the first half of their career. My goal is to connect you more thoroughly to our vibrant community through this show. I'm your host, Johannes Boot, and thank you for taking some time to listen in. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Alexander Overbeek to the show. Alex is a current partner and financial consultant at Provisio Retirement Partners. Alex loves his work, the West Michigan area, and experiencing the outdoors. On LinkedIn, Alex is very active through writing articles and sharing relevant information in this industry in clear language. Alex, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome, and thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you very much for, for inviting me. I'm, I was really looking forward to this. Awesome. So if you don't want to just start us off giving us a quick brief intro on uh, your life as uh, somebody, I'm a fellow Davenport graduate, by the way, so go DU, go Panthers. And, uh, and uh, I am wondering, could you give us a quick overview of your life through, through college into the young professional room? And now, now you're um, working with Provisio and how'd that all go? What was your experience in West Michigan? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so it kind of, I'm a little bit odd in that I knew what I wanted to do after high school. <laughs> I, uh, I, my, my dad's been a, you know, financial advisor for about as long as I've been alive and, uh, kind of watching him, uh, come up in the industry and what he was able to accomplish and how much he loved his job, um, you know, really gave me some inspiration to pursue that career path as well. So, yeah, so like you said, I went to Davenport. I, you know, got my my finance degree with a financial planning specialty, and um, was able to because I worked with my dad at the time. So I had started kind of getting to know the industry. I got some initial licenses, and that kind of propelled me through my degree program pretty quickly uh, to a point where I was going to be graduating and and getting married um, in uh, in about two years flat. So it was uh, it was an interesting time, and um, about that time, I decided, you know, hey, I love working with my dad, but I got to go learn this this deal for myself. So um, I went to an insurance company, a pretty large insurance company, is where I started off. It was a full commission job, and it was kind of just being like, you know, thrown thrown out into the into the world and see what you can make happen. So. Um, that was an interesting experience. I, I am very glad I did it. Um, but, uh, you know, being 20 years old and trying to sell, you know, living off full commission with a, a new wife, uh, trying to sell insurance products was pretty difficult. <laughs> um, so after a little while, I, I decided, you know, I, I really want to get back to the investment side of things. I really want to do not just the insurance side, but also the investments and bringing everything together, doing real financial planning. So I got into a program with another uh, larger investment firm based out of uh, Milwaukee. And um, they had a, a training program for me out there. And I actually spent about four months. They put me in an apartment in Milwaukee for about four months, um, which uh, was pretty difficult given that my wife was uh, uh, finishing her last year of nursing school. So. Um, we lived apart for about four months and I drove home from Milwaukee every weekend and drove out there back out to Milwaukee every Sunday night or Monday morning early. Um, but, uh, that was also an incredible experience. The whole point of that program was to get to know, you know, the company, get to know the people who support the financial advisors and then partner with a financial advisor group here in, in West Michigan. 
And ultimately I did that. I ended up getting partnered up with a, a group in Holland, which is kind of how I got to know the Holland area better than I did before. And, um, you know, I spent about, I'd say, I think it was probably two, two and a half years with that group. Um, about three and a half years total with, with that, that company and um, kind of started to realize, you know, this isn't exactly how I want to run my business long term. This working for these guys and that's great for them. But, you know, I really want to be my I still kind of want to be my own person. So um, started talking to my dad again. And it turns out we had a lot of the same ideas <laughs> about where we wanted to take where we saw the industry going how we wanted to plan for our clients, how we wanted to do, you know, do things right by them. And by that point, I kind of had a little bit of a client base. So, um, you know, I was able to come on more as a partner than, uh, than as a, uh, you know, uh, rather than like an intern or something to that extent. So, and that was about a year ago that we created uh, Provisio Retirement Partners. And it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the long and short of it. <laughs> that's how we got to where we are today. What a story um, from cutting your teeth to uh, cutting your teeth again, starting a business. <laughs> yes. yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, is there any backstory behind the name Provisio? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's Latin. It's uh, it, we, we really liked the idea of um, uh, having forethought and, and putting planning, um, planning for the future and having, Having a, a plan of where you're going in, in Latin is 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 uh, or I'm sorry, provisio is Latin for for forethought or to to think ahead. And do you guys specialize in any specific type of investment planning? Um, you know, I think when we when we look at investment planning, um, it's it's different for everyone. <laughs> I mean, our, our, our specialty is definitely um, helping people work through, um, you know, not just what their investments are or what type of insurance coverage they have, but it's, okay, how do we, how do you guys think about money? You know, what, what is the plan? What, what is, or even more basic, just to take it even a step, step back, what, what do you want money to do for you? Because that's a different, everyone has a different answer to that question. Um, you know, for some people, it's just, I want to have time. I want to have freedom, you know, in my, in my retirement years. Um, you know, I had someone tell me the other day, it's, it's, I want to be able to, um, live my life while my, my body will still let me, <laughs> you know, and, and that it sounds kind of cliche almost to say, well, what, what are your goals for the future? But it really does. Everything kind of builds off of that. It's kind of like, you know, I, I was reading a book the other day um, that made the, the example of it, to come to a financial advisor um, without goals in mind. It's kind of like going to a doctor and saying, um, you know, here, here are my symptoms. And they say, oh, here's a solution for you without asking you any further questions. Just here it is. Here, here's a prescription, you know, right when you walk in the door. Um, I, I've been in that situation. I've worked with, you know, other professionals to do it that way. And. Um, I, I just don't think that's the best way. So um, that's really what we try to do is we have to try, try to have meaningful conversations with people surrounding their money. And I'm sure as you guys develop your relationships with your clients and the uh, people that are walking in the doors with you or the, uh, I guess, the online Zoom rooms, that uh, um, <laughs> those goals and those things that are meaningful, maybe people aren't always aware of it, but it comes, it comes out as well as you guys work through your process. Right, exactly. Very cool. 
What was it like? Uh, it's, you said you launched Provisio a year ago, and that was right in the middle of uh, when we're starting to go into a pandemic. Speak to that a little bit. That's, uh, that's a very trust-oriented industry, and, uh, and there's a lot of space online for a lot of other uh, businesses. So how'd that go for you? Yeah, um, <laughs> it was interesting, to say the least, um, but also really surprising. Um, you know, I, the traditional financial advisor model has been, you know, come to my office, sit at my mahogany desk and let's, uh, you know, I'll sit here in my suit and tie and let's, let's talk, let's talk investments, you know, and, um, that model is already starting to go away a little bit. Um, the pandemic accelerated, accelerated it dramatically. Um, you know, I had kind of always thought of the idea of doing video calls, but one of the things, the two things that stopped me were, you know, one, um, uh, are people really, can people really trust you, you know, if they're just getting to meet you over a video call? And two, um, uh, you know, do people even know how this technology works? Because before the pandemic, pre-pandemic, a lot of people didn't even really do video calls, at least not in my experience with the type of clientele that we're working with, which tend to be, I would say, um, you know, we, we've got clients ranging, you know, across the board, but we've got some clients, you know, who are in their 60s and 70s and we're like, well, do they know how to use this stuff? And while the pandemic really fast tracks that and um, and now everybody kind of knows how to use Zoom or, or Google Meet or whatever. And, um, you know, we, we found ourselves, we still find ourselves having a ton of Zoom meetings. And we there were some clients that we brought on board last year that we, you know, we got them started on a, on a plan and got their investments going and, and insurance. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't meet them in person until pretty much everything was done. Um, so it's, uh, it, it was a weird year, but we still, you know, we had a banner year uh, for our first year as a partnership. So it was, it was pretty crazy. What a blessing. Uh, now, I often think about uh, having the right conversation in the right uh, in the right medium and place so let's say like there's a lot of information that can happen over uh, email right or um, in person might be a very specific but there's also specific things like this meeting did not have to happen it could have been an email sort of thing right or a text or different mediums and then when you're talking about goal setting that sounds like something that's very difficult to do without an in-person um, meeting is that not the case have you guys found a way to create around it there's a lot of sure i'm sure there's a lot of things that could definitely be streamlined and a lot easier it's more convenient to meet online oftentimes this podcast is being recorded online it's much more convenient for i think both of us to be able to just jump on and talk <laughs> um, <laughs> so give me kind of how, how have you guys navigated having those really good conversations but through zoom or through different creative ways Sure. It's not without its, its challenges, for sure. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that my dad and I will comment on frequently when we have, you know, meetings over Zoom is uh, body language. Even with the camera, you know, especially, you know, it, everyone's internet connections are different. You know, we've all experienced that, the glitching out or people get their camera gets shut off or whatever. It's really hard sometimes. Some, and some people are more expressive than others, too. And sometimes like, okay, how is this meeting actually going? Because <laughs> you can't necessarily tell by their by their body language or, or their tone of voice. So 
and, and then, you know, like I said, you know, there's been some clients that we've, we have been able to meet in person now that things have started to open up as, you know, we do it safely. And, and it turns out they're really, really excited about the plan. And we maybe didn't necessarily, we thought it was, okay, it's going okay, but we didn't realize how, how excited they were. So yeah, it's definitely not without its challenges. Um, I, I think, I don't think in-person stuff will ever go away. I think um, there is some value to having, you know, like an annual review in person, um, even if that means a couple, we have a couple other means throughout the year that are over Zoom or phone call. And that hasn't really, that doesn't really change from how things have always been, I don't think. But, um, I, I, you know, the Zoom, the Zoom stuff has been a good way to get through the last year. And I think it'll still be a big part of, of what we do moving forward. Awesome. Yeah. And like you said, a large part of just about everybody now knows how to use online stuff, their setup. So it's, it's a much more effective and easy and ubiquitous tool that, that um, business people are able to use. That's awesome. Um, now, one thing that you had mentioned that I want to touch on before we dive into a, a, a different topic here is you had kind of mentioned the, the stigma of walking into the mahogany desk of the financial advisor. Very much the industry is steeped on the right presentation um, and, and having the, uh, the, uh, a lot of the, the show that uh, you are a successful investment advisor. Uh, and that's why they should trust you. Have you brought it down to more of a layman's level or how do you, like if I was, has Zoom helped in that? I guess, I just give me, a, I guess, a picture of what, um, what your thoughts on professionalism versus being real and relatable are in your current business. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, when we meet with people, whether it be for the first time or, or a client, um, it kind of depends on the person a little bit because, you know, some people are, um, you know, we have some clients who are attorneys or doctors or dentists or whatever. And, and some, some of them may expect a little bit more um, of a professional appearance. And then you can see this and not on the podcast, you can't, but on the camera, you can see I'm just wearing a, a polo today. And um, some of the people that I'm, I'm seeing today are, you know, it, we know each other pretty well. We're friends. It's, it's not, uh, they don't expect me to come in a suit and tie when it's 80 degrees out. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you kind of, you get used to that. You gauge, um, you know, the, the expectations of who you're meeting with. And, um, but I think in general, um, you know, I think in general, we're, we're seeing that people are more accepting of, um, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more casual dress. And part of that is definitely because of Zoom. Um, like some of the clients I'd mentioned before that, you know, we didn't see them all, all last year, right? even as we were onboarding them as clients, they, we'd, we'd get jump on a Zoom call and they'd be sitting on their back porch with a drink in their hand at, you know, four o'clock. And that's awesome, you know, and that kind of sets the tone for a more casual uh, relationship where we, we trust each other and we're friends. I don't need to, you know, to really show up and, and dress up for you because you don't care about that. You know, it's that it also changes the power. It also changes the power dynamic a little bit, right? They're not coming to this necessarily hugely. I mean, I'm going to use the word aristocratic, even though it's not really the right term, you know, like, you know, really well steeped, you know, knowledgeable, knowledgeable is not a good word either, but just it shifts into more relatable terms. All of a sudden, totally. we're both humans, we're both doing our best here, you know, that's different. But I wanted well, to bring the conference. Go ahead. 
Oh, well, I was just going to say, it also, um, it gives you, you're not setting yourself up as being you know, this perfect model of, uh, of knowledge either, you know, so we can work together on things and, and sometimes they'll, our clients will make a suggestion, like, you know, that actually is a really good idea. Let's talk about that more. And it's not like, um, I don't want to say the expectations are lower because they certainly aren't, but it's more of a conversation and a, and a discussion and less of a, hey, I'm coming to you. Um, in your office, you know, tell me what to do. So that's, and I, I like that. That's, that's really great. So I read a book, uh, recently called never split the difference by Chris Voss. It's, it's, I've read it a few times actually, but it's a, one of his, one of a, a really good seminal text actually on negotiation. And he talks about a lot about when you're in the, when you're in the negotiation or talking between on something important between somebody, right? And negotiations is being something high stakes, that could involve emotions uh, and is important. It's, a, it's an important decision being made. And he talks about how do you get um, into a problem-solving mindset that yields more information instead of just siloing both sides. And oftentimes this, this might be where, you know, dropping those um, artificial uh, shields, I guess, <laughs> might help sure. being, oh, hey, that is a great idea. Let's talk about that. Let's, you know, get more information and, and then we can make better decisions together. That's beautiful. I did want to take this conversation towards, though, oftentimes from a, perhaps a, maybe a more experienced clientele might not, and that's probably a large part of your portfolio might not see this, but um, really with young professionals, perhaps they may see an investment planner as somebody who's making the same guesses they're making in the market. And why would they need to pay a suit when they could do it themselves? Hmm. Respond. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, and this kind of goes back, you were just talking about the, the book and, the, and the, the point about, um, you know, having, having real conversations and bring things to the table. And I think that that, um, kind of highlights, you know, the way that I think of kind of this whole free investing movement. Um, you know, I'm sure you've heard of apps like Robinhood. Um, I think Webull is another one, even TD Ameritrade and, and Schwab. I mean, they've all really piled on on this, this idea of um, free investing. And I think I'll just start off by saying that the idea of offering a platform to um, young people in general to get started investing and encouraging them to do so is a great is a great thing. It really is. Um, but you know, when when people ask me the question, well, why would I ever come to you if I can just do it myself? Um, I you know that they're not wrong. I mean, you could you could there's there are situations where there are there are certainly you know if I'm helping someone get started that it may not be super complicated. Usually, it's not. Um, but, and you could do it yourself, but moving forward, the value of a financial advisor, um, is not just what you're invested in. Um, you know, the, probably the biggest thing that we do for people is we provide a sounding board. Um, we are, I don't want to say, you know, some people will, will say, well, it's kind of like you're a gatekeeper and it's not, it's not a gatekeeper to your money. It's more like, I, I, I've been saying it's more like we're a screen door. <laughs> it's you have full access to your accounts. You can see everything that's in there. It's very transparent. You can get at it whenever you want. You still have to open the screen door. You still have to talk to us. We can still talk you talk through things with you. We have that collaboration. And it really stops you from, in this book I was just reading called um, The One Page Financial Plan by, um, I think it's Carl Richards. 
um, talks about the big mistake. And the big mistake is um, uh, buying high and selling low. That is, as a financial advisor, I don't think anything encapsulates uh, what we do better than helping people from making the big mistake. And um, so, you know, yeah, free investing apps, and I can go on and on about, about those apps and, and the different pitfalls that are associated with them, but I think that's really the biggest thing is, is that we can help people when we, when we talk about goals and we build a plan. Um, it's one thing to have a plan and it's a totally another thing to stick to it. So really that's our, our biggest job for clients is let's help you stick to that plan and avoid making the big mistake. So one of the central marketing messages specifically that I've seen by Robinhood um, has been, you are in the industry, you know how it's moving. Why don't you take advantage of that and make money off it? And off, one of the ones that comes to mind is seeing the, the guy working in the grocery store, seeing what product is selling, and then he's making the investment <laughs> off of that. Um, I've seen that commercial many times. You have? Good. <laughs> um, and that, that's a really, and that, there's some truth to that, I'm sure. Um, but then talk to me how that relates to not making the big mistake and getting too involved in your investment perhaps and saying, no, this is going to work, this is work. Maybe the five stages of loss associated with maybe a, a, a narrative story that's not working out or a, or um, a single a single um, factor that maybe isn't the right factor you're, you're betting on. Or talk, to, talk a little bit more around the big pitfalls when you don't have a sounding board. I'm really glad you brought up that commercial because I've talked to that one about my, with my clients a number of times because that commercial really bothers me because it promotes kind of a wrong view of investing because it's so, you know, in the commercial, for those who haven't seen it, you know, it's a, it's a young, young person. He's working in a grocery store. He's stocking the shelves. And he's like, well, I, and then I think the narrator says something like, you should get a piece of this, of the pie, you know, and you're putting in the work. So then he goes online he buys shares of the, of the supermarket chain or whatever. Um, that is, you know, that's a very um, emotional response. It is, well, look, I know I, I want, you know, my, my share of what this business, I'm putting in all this work, I'm going to buy a piece of the company. Um, and, you know, in theory, that might work for you, <laughs> but it might not. And, but, you know, even deeper than that is the entire trade is based on emotion. So, you know, two things could happen either because you're really, you really don't know you know, what you're investing in, it's, it's an emotional decision. If it tanks, you could, you would probably, you could be more inclined to sell when the, when it's low or on the flip side, be, again, because it's an emotional decision and you're tied to that, like it's almost like a, an ego thing and you may hold on to the stock even as the company goes bankrupt because you feel tied to that and you, you made that decision. So that's, yeah, I, I don't it love it. becomes an that. honor sort of a trade or a pride sort of an investment at that point, right? Exactly. Is that yeah, what you're it's saying? Just, it's yeah. trade. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with trading, um, you know, in and of itself. I just, let's not call it uh, investing or planning. Right. <laughs> at least not until you look at perhaps more of the company's fundamentals, right? Like, hey, is sure. this supermarket chain, it looks like it's doing well, it's busy every day, but is it just my area or is it across all the chains or what are some of the deeper things um, as far as financial ratio, stuff like that. And that's where a sounding board is really helpful, right? Like what right. are the right financial fundamentals to look at or what are the right future um, um, uh, movements or current movements that may indicate future movements 
to be paying attention to. Right. Exactly. So when you when you are uh, working with a client, that's uh, it, it's almost as if when you say sounding board, it could be easy to misunderstand it as like an or to understand it as somebody who's would you call it educating your clientele? Like, I'm sure you want your your people to stay with the ranch as they work through the screen door with you, but eventually, perhaps some people might want to own their own ranch. You know, is that a, what do you think? Is it, you would love your people to stay with you. Are, are you in such a place where you're like, no, let's work through the decision-making process until you understand it well enough to do it yourself? Or how do you balance that? That's, wow, that's a, that's a really great question. I think um, there, there are different types of clients. You know, there are those who are, um, well, backing up a little bit. I, the education piece is, is probably our favorite part. The education and, and hearing people's different stories, um, you know, businesses they've started, you know, where they've come in their life, what they've done to, to save and get where they are. It's always really interesting. And and then being able to, you know, take what we've learned about their situation and, and educate them about what they should do moving forward and how all of these things work. Um, that's a blast. I love that. And yeah, you're right. I, I you know, I still think that for the majority of people, there's a case to be made for working with us over over the course of their lifetime, um, and again because it's it's we help people from making that that big mistake, and um, and you know there's other things we do too. I mean, as far as on the investment management side, we spend a lot of time balancing risk and reward, and um, you know it's that that does take some effort, and we can help people do that, especially as they get closer to their retirement years and utilize different strategies to make their money work for them and, and, well, essentially keep them from running out of money in retirement. Um, but yeah, there are certainly, you know, we, we do work with some clients that they do want to do it most of it themselves and that's fine. Um, you know, and, and we're, we're perfectly happy to, to help them craft a plan um, that they can then implement or take to someone else to implement. Um, we can do that too. So we are flexible in that regard. I, um, I would say that's the minority of our, our clientele. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we definitely see people from different stages of, of life. And some of those people who say they want to do it on their own do end up coming back to us too. So it just, it's a lot it just of work. depends. It <laughs> is. It's a, it, that's the, the other thing is that it's a ton of work if you're, if you're going to do it yourself. And it's also a part of the sticking to the goals and making sure you're staying on track. It's easy to lose sight of those as well, huh? Right. What would, what would be some advice you were giving to, young professionals specifically, this is what the podcast is kind of catered towards, uh, that are looking to start uh, investing. For example, I am not involved in the stock market at all right now, other than having bought a house here in Holland and working on remodeling it. And that's not like a, you know, stock market portfolio, I guess, but it is an investment. Um, And if I were to say, hey, Alex, I'm looking to get into uh, investing a little bit. You're like, check these boxes. Make sure you're here. What would be the advice or the boxes you'd be giving me? I, <laughs> the thing I always say uh, to young people, because they'll ask, you know, one of the first, like, do, where do I get started or do I get started? Um, my answer is always um, start. <laughs> get get started. And 
you know, that, that doesn't always mean jumping in with both feet and putting all your savings into the market. Usually it doesn't. Um, I'm going to say 99% of the time it doesn't. Um, but um, but it's, it's just get started, you know, and, and I would suggest talking to someone. Um, it doesn't have to be me. <laughs> I, would, I would talk to a financial advisor. I would find someone that you can trust, uh, that you feel comfortable with, that's going to give you the, you know, give you the truth and, and uh, treat you well. Um, but I guess just a few general things, um, you know, first of all, and you can do this yourself too. go, go through and, and take out an index card and uh, just write down the things that are, are most important to you um, surrounding your, your money. You know, what is it that you want money to do for you as a, as a tool? Um, what is, uh, what is most important? And then write down a few, a few goals, some short-term goals, medium goals, long-term goals, and start just start laying that out. That's, that's really the best place to, to start because that's going to influence all of your financial decisions down the road. Um, and w- once you have some of those things in place, then look at, okay, what, what are my assets and my liabilities? What do I own and what do I owe? And, um, anyways, it can, that, that's a good place to start. It's, it's kind of the, the first step is just organizing, organizing your thoughts, organizing your financials, um, and getting a, getting a clear picture of where you are right now. So that's where I would say to start. I, uh, I've been reading a book for the past four years by an investor named Nicholas Nassim Taleb. It's a big book and I've read it a few times. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but the book's name is Anti-Fragile. And he's written a couple other books called uh, one, one specifically being The Black Swan. And he kind of identified and saw The Black Swan as a, as an, um, a concept. And the question that's coming out of this is, is there a... Uh, Risk, I guess risk-free is not the right answer, uh, but is there a way to invest or be invested in life in the stock market where the upside always outweighs the downside? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> We're always, I, I, there's always going to be risk, always. Um, you know, you're, there, there is no such thing as a, as a risk, you know, so-called risk-free investment. Um, I, history would tell us that the market at, at large, and when I say the market, I'm talking about, you know, the S&P 500, the top 500 stocks in, in the country and, um, and, and really the world, I suppose. Um, it's, um, history would tell us, you know, that the, the market's averaged around 10% um, throughout its history. Um, now, you know, that's, that's an average. So, you know, there are going to be years like 2008, 2009, where the market takes a giant dip and, um, you know, but over time it's averaged about 10%. So I, you know, there's always going to be risk. There's always going to be risk of those, those drops. Um, uh, but over time, you know, if you, if you look at it over time, over the course of 20, 30, 40 years until you, you know, you actually need to retire on that money. Um, you do stand a pretty good chance at, um, at successfully making some money, <laughs> but it's not without risk. So um, he kind of goes over these concepts. This, this is kind of the train of thought I'm developing. Uh, he's like, okay, there are things that are fragile, right? The slightest movement will break it. 
right? Or, or so like any sort of a movement is a dangerous sort of movement because it could, it could break it. Then there's this idea of robust where it's like resistant to change, but it breaks down over time, you know, as, as you, uh, as you hammer a concrete block, it develops cracks and then eventually it turns to dust. And then there's this idea about above it where he's like, there's anti-fragility where a healthy person who breaks a bone grows a stronger bone, a relationship that goes through difficulty gets stronger. And he's like, how do we position our life in such a way where change benefits us and we limit our fragility by putting it into a robust place. So one of the recommended things he says is, hey, when you, let's say you are taking an investment, first, first make it robust, say, you know, keep the bulk of your savings in something hard. And then the money that you can lose, you can already have lost it, maybe 10% or something like that, invested in a risk, and he calls it a barbell strategy. What are your thoughts about that as far as, is that too much to be thinking about as someone investing? Is that the right train of thought? Um, give us some feedback. Well, yeah, I, I think, um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I think um, <clears throat> that's, that's really great advice, honestly. I, I think, so when we get started, you know, one of the first things that we look at is, like I said, we look at what you own and what you owe and, um, you know, your assets and liabilities. Um, and, you know, that breaks down further into what are my monthly expenses going to be for, you know, on what I owe, what I have to pay for gas, groceries, whatever. So when you talk about having kind of that hard money, that, that is that, uh, uh, emergency safety net, um, that's one of the first things that we will do when we walk through those, that process is, all right, do you have kind of that, that typical or that uh, recommended three to six months of emergency savings? And, um, it's not, I think that surprises people when we talk about that because it's kind of uh, counter to, um, you know, how we make money. <laughs> right. You think that, oh, hey, yeah. Um, you'd think most people are like, oh, if I want to get investing and make money, I should just start investing. It doesn't even occur to limit the downside first. Because if, right. you know, what good is it to be able to drive a car that travels 200 miles through the hour if you're 200 miles an hour if you're driving through New York City and you crash and you never make it right that, that exactly and you know it's if you if you kind of put the the cart before the horse so to speak and you're you're investing every extra dollar you have then you're increasing the likelihood that you're going to make you know the big mistake because if something happens you lose I mean look how many people lost their jobs or had reduced hours or, you know, lost an income last year? You know, these things happen and it's, you can't predict it. It's, they just happen. Um, you know, if you're putting every dollar you have into your investments, oh, and, and then not to mention the fact that, you know, last March, April, um, when all this happened, the market dropped 30%. So how many people do you think lost their job, needed an income and had to pull their money out? when the market was down 30%. That's, that's something we want to avoid. And you avoid that by, you know, like you said, having some, some cash on hand to deal with those immediate expenses, get back on your feet, get a new job, whatever the case may be. So yeah, no, that's a great point. Awesome. Thank you. This is, um, listeners, this is about as close as I'm going to be able to get Alex to a real life planning scenario. I've been trying to pick his brain on how do you approach life and goals in, in, um, an investment sort of thing. Alex, I can tell this brings you life. It's something you really enjoy thinking about. What are some other things while you're in Holland, while you're in West Michigan that you really enjoy doing that makes this area special to you? 
Yeah. Um, I, so I'm, I'm married. Um, my wife and I have been married for, for almost six years now. We have a beautiful little 10 month old girl and, um, we, yeah, we love this area. We both grew up here. I, I, um, kind of grew up in the, the Granville area now since, you know, getting married to my wife, we, we live in Zealand now and we have I've spent tons of time in Holland on the lake shore. And, you know, we know all the, the good restaurants around. We love going out to eat and, and, spending time in, in downtown Holland and walking down the street. And it's, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't, I, I tell people this, like even when I was living in Milwaukee, I, I told people all the time, because part of the program was you could get shipped out to, to Denver, spend some time in Denver. A lot of people went to Seattle and they said, well, why do you want to go back to West Michigan? It's kind of hard to put a, you know, to really put your finger on it. It's just a unique place. It really is. I mean, you've, yeah, people will say, well, you've got, you know, it gets so cold there in the winter. I'm like, yeah, but the summers are beautiful. <laughs> Why would I want to be anywhere else? And uh, I don't know. It's, I, I think there's kind of that idea of West Michigan nice too. And um, everyone is just very willing to help each other. And it's it's a really tight knit community, um, especially in, in the Holland area, I would say. Um, I really love that. It's It's unlike anywhere else that I've been. Well, certainly you are part of developing that as well. And thank you for being part of the community at such a such a intentional level as well. Um, but definitely that's something we hear all the time is this area is beautiful and the people here are amazing. So more of that. Uh, we'll take cheers to that. As we wrap up the podcast, are there any last pieces of advice, um, knowledge bombs, uh, cool tips, anything that you want to leave our listenership with, including some contact information if needed. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to, you know, you asked what, you know, how, what is the kind of the first thing you suggest people do? And I, I would just kind of reiterate, be intentional when it comes to, to your finances, be intentional. And, um, and st- you got to start somewhere. And for some people, that's that's kind of it's kind of a scary thought to to even look at their finances, much less open a bank statement. <laughs> and I get that. I think we've all been there. Um, but uh, you don't move forward and, and until you start. So um, you know, and we can help with that. Um, we we work with people all the time who um, you know range from you know in their twenties, you know, up to their seventies and eighties. And everyone's at a different stage of life. Everyone's done done, done life differently, and uh, and we enjoy working with all of them. So um, yeah, if you want to touch base with me, get some um, maybe more personal advice. I can get in a little a little more deeper than uh, than I can on a podcast. Um, my email is alex.overbeek@lpl.com, and uh, and you can check out our website, and that's www.provisioretirement.com. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Alex. This has been a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Hot Off the Hip. Make sure to check out our events page at www.behip.org for the current offering of community and development events created by the Holland Zealand Young Professionals. Also, take a moment to look through the show notes, connect with our guests, or leave a voice message with your thoughts on the episode. Today's show was a blast to put together, and I look forward to doing this again soon on the next episode of Hot Off the Hip.